is the Heartland Daily Podcast. everyone, and welcome to the Heartland Daily Podcast. This is Anne-Marie Schieber of Healthcare News. A few weeks ago, the North Shore University Health System in Illinois agreed to pay $10.3 million into a settlement fund for workers who were ordered to get COVID-19 shots. Now, some of the workers who didn't want to get the shots quit. Others got the shots against their will. In any case, this is a stunning development, this settlement, because this is the not the only case that's out there where employers pushed similar rules with no exceptions. I'm pleased to have as my guest this week, Doug Seaton. He is an attorney with the Upper Midwest Law Center. His public interest law firm is representing plaintiffs in similar cases and no doubt has been watching this latest case very closely. Welcome, Doug. Good morning, Emory. Thank you very much for having me with you. Doug, how significant is this settlement? I mean, it's a whopping sum of money, $10.3 million, in a case involving about 12 workers. Uh, they won't be the only ones eligible, I guess, to tap into this fund. Are, are you surprised it's settled instead of going to a full trial? Well, not really. Uh, it is. It does happen. In fact, most cases, uh, in fact, do settle. Uh, we're, of course, pursuing cases, too, as, as we'll talk more about. But the reason uh, they settle is, is uh, people are anxious to get on with their lives sometimes. Uh, they're pressed economically to get resolutions. And the plaintiff's lawyers have to uh, represent their client's interests. And so they come back and and say, here's the settlement that is possible. Uh, are you interested in pursuing it? Uh, we have mixed feelings about them uh, because we would like to get some ringing uh, appellate court decisions that are citable precedent for other cases. But the settlements help, too. Those are, as you noted, this is very, very noteworthy. People are paying plenty of attention to it, and it has heartened those of us who are pursuing uh, other cases on behalf of uh, of plaintiffs who are in similar situations. And, of course, it's heartened those individuals as well to see there possibly is a way they're going to get some relief. But we want the policy changes, too. That's very, very important, not just yeah. uh, not in it for the money. We're in it to get these policies changed. And we should mention this this sum of money is a settlement fund, so not the the plaintiffs won't be the only ones eligible to tap into it. It will impact any employee who was impacted by this rule, I guess. Yes, it, it yes it will. Now, and I don't have the exact terms of the settlement because they're typically uh, somewhat private. But but I'm assuming at least that those who would have filed or did file. Uh, an actual exemption request will be eligible for some relief, whether they're actual parties to the suit or not. Tell us about the cases you're working on. Yes, we have uh, we have a whole group of cases, and some of them are still in development. I'll say there are actually dozens in in some fashion or another in the system with the uh, Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, where charges must be filed initially in these types of cases, usually where there are religious exemption denial is involved or failure to accommodate 
And we have some, uh, not so many, uh, though others are pursuing these, that are based on medical and, uh, and disability exemption requests, which are also required by law. These two kinds of exemptions are required by law under uh, several different statutes, the ADA, among others, and, uh, and our religious liberties from the Constitution through the civil rights laws as well. And so uh, if you have filed or, or do file a request of any kind, you, uh, we'll take the religious ones because those are the bulk of what we're doing. If you file a request for a religious exemption and have, have uh, sincere beliefs uh, that are your own, you're supposed to be able to get that exemption. And nobody gets to rule on you know, the veracity of your beliefs. Uh, that's for you to decide under our Constitution. And people should be free to file those and free to have them granted. And many, many employers have simply failed to do that or they've originally recognized the exemption in some other circumstance, and then they deny it when they are expanding or uh, so cracking down, I guess I'll say, on, uh, on uh, those who do not take vaccination. So we've got plenty of cases where it's clear the employer can do this. They have done it. They have exempted mm-hmm. the people in the past, but they won't do it when it comes to the uh, final final moment of Im- imposing the vaccination requirement. So that's the nature of the cases, and we've got a bunch of them we can talk more about. Can, can these defendant employers argue that they were forced, especially in the cases of hospitals, that they were forced by the federal government to mandate the COVID shots? Now, you know, we know all hospitals, many hospitals take care of Medicare, Medicaid patients. They are federal healthcare providers and are subject to the law. This came up time and time again. Can they use that as a defense? Uh, it is it is certainly going to be raised, we're sure, by all of the all of those who are facing these charges. But the fact of the matter is, uh, it, it's it uh, there is some application, some potential uh, uh, protection for an employer in the healthcare industry uh, and any medical provider. There's a there's a certain level of additional. Uh, protection we think afforded in those cases. But most of the cases we've seen, and I'll take the example of the Federal Reserve Bank, which has a whole series of these cases we're pursuing on behalf of employees, many of whom were close to retirement and were uh, were essentially terminated outright when they declined to get the vaccination, even if they had been uh, accommodated previously uh, in, in earlier episodes of, of mandates and the like. Uh, and had been allowed to uh, to avoid vaccination or other other mandates that may have been involved. And all of a sudden, the Federal Reserve Bank denied that, took away the exemptions people already had, and forced them to vaccinate or be terminated. And so we think in those cases, they don't have the medical uh, sort of uh, quasi-exemption or defense that uh, that others may allege. They don't really have a basis to protect themselves. In most cases, these mandates were really voluntary. They were not required by law. Many employers cited the CDC, but there, there was no real requirement that they adopt these, these mandates. They were mm-hmm. self-imposed voluntary mandates. Do you think the Illinois case will impact rulings or action in other cases, perhaps in, in districts where judges may be more favorable to the federal mandates under the umbrella of these, uh, you know, under the umbrella of a public health threat? Well, we, we certainly do have judges who have varying opinions and various views on the, on the law in this arena. 
And so we've had a multiplicity of decisions in this area. And the judges originally had a lot of hesitation to uh, to wade in on these issues when the uh, when COVID-19 first presented itself. They gave the government some latitude. We think that's going to be less true now. We think that many other judges will now, even though the settlement does not have precedential value per se in the law itself, there will certainly be some impact. Uh, judges read the newspapers, too, mm. and we think there will be plenty of interest in in, in other cases by judges who say, well, this has been called into question successfully elsewhere. Uh, why should we treat this differently if we're actually faced with a full trial? And, of course, the, the mechanics are that ultimately cases are going to go to trial with a jury, and the juries are certainly going to know about the settlements, and they're, even though they won't be uh, you know, told about them in evidence, and so we think they will affect how people view view these cases going forward. And we're very heartened by the by the settlement. Yeah. Do you think the settlement was reached because they didn't want to get it to the appellate level? You mentioned that earlier. Um, do you think that they saw that the writing was on the wall and didn't want to get it in a precedent setting way? Uh, we think that certainly could be part of it uh, for, uh, on the part of some of the actors, but the the specter of liability for the system itself uh, in an actual jury outcome could have been a significant part of the part of the uh, of the calculation too. Now those are sort of wrapped up together because a jury a jury verdict against them uh, only has some limited ability to be appealed, and so once the case goes forward, unless there's a legal deficiency. A jury verdict against them is is not going to really be subject to very much in the way of challenge. So that mm. that is a large part, like it or not, <laughs> of the reason that some of these institutions move is the threat of liability. And so sure. we have to use it to, uh, to get these changes mm. made. Doug, there are many small businesses who ordered employees to get these shots, uh, you know, particularly in states like New Jersey, New York, California, here in my home state of Michigan. Um, They push these COVID-19 shots and draconian COVID orders. Many workers did quit. Um, Should they be worried these small employers might, um, these employees now have some recourse um, given given what happened in Illinois? Uh, Yes, I think many employers uh, do have uh, good reason to worry. And I would, we'd certainly, uh, if we were advising them, we'd recommend they get some some detailed advice about these situations, because even employees who who resigned rather than rather than face this mandate will have what's called a constructive discharge claim, saying that they were really forced to resign and therefore it should be treated as a termination, which would be the starting point for potential liability if they had the basis to seek, uh, say, one of those two kinds of exemptions from the employer. Yeah, I know. I, it's really tough to sue an employer no matter what happens um, because you need money, first of all. You need to have the resources to do it. And then, you know, um, anything comes out. Uh, who knows how they'll the, de- the defendants will attack you and so forth. I don't know. It, it'll be interesting to watch, uh, certainly. Um, can you bring us up to speed on where the Supreme Court has stood in the protection of religious exemptions. I mean, it seems like these decisions have been all over the map. Uh, is that something that concerns you in your cases going forward? 
Uh, we're certainly concerned and, and want to have the law affirmed at the highest level that, uh, that these exemptions must be treated respectfully by employers. And uh, the old, old law, some of it's 100 years old, that validated uh, typhus uh, inoculations early on as mandatory, those were our very old decisions. And they came about way before the bulk of our constitutional law was framed and decided. And so we think they're subject to review. They should be reviewed. They should be overruled. There should be much more stringent requirements placed on government for these so-called public health emergency situations. Uh, and we're looking forward to that being the case. We don't think we should treat the uh, current law as, uh, as uh, uh, stare decisis without the possibility of change. We all know that uh, after the last term, uh, of the Supreme Court, that things that have been said to be uh, to be uh, uniform and settled law are subject to change. And this is one area where there certainly should be change yeah. because these mandates have, have been so, uh, so dramatic and uh, terrible for people that uh, you must have a higher standard uh, imposed on the government for when these things can be imposed and for when people have a exemption from the yeah. from the mandates and, and you mentioned typhus but unlike typhus covid there were other ways to control this virus as we are now coming to learn the vaccines were not as effective as we thought in fact they've caused some damage to many people um and then of course um you know we had early treatment that was ignored people didn't get the vaccines i mean it wasn't the only option and this wasn't, you know, this huge health threat. It impacted a very small population. Uh, but for the gen most part, you know, young, healthy people weren't really impacted. So um, it's kind of interesting to see if whether any of these issues will come out now in these cases, arguing that because we know so much more than we did two years ago. Um, this has been, oh, good. <laughs> we think that this, this is very likely to be the case. Now, we'll say that the actual... Science is not so much a part of the cases, uh, but it certainly affects it. And the, the facts that are before the court in terms of making a legal decision may be somewhat different. But that background, we all know now that the original panic and uh, these draconian remedies really don't have very much support uh, in the law. We know there's a real push for uniformity uh, in these public health settings and in, in employers' policy settings. But there really wasn't much basis for that. As you say, it was a very narrow group of people who were subject to real danger from the from the COVID uh, COVID virus. It was those in their 80s who had serious health problems who were really the ones at risk. And yet we had this uniform requirement imposed on us by a very wrongheaded uh, public health uh, set of experts. We know now that experts don't know very much. <laughs> they, <laughs> yes. they know, know <laughs> one thing, but even that one thing, they don't seem to know very well. So I think it, we have undermined the, uh, the authority of experts uh, for good or for ill, I think mostly for good, because they didn't really know much and they weren't in a position to evaluate the other kinds of risks that were involved, even medical risks, let alone psychological risks and the loss of learning learning opportunities and socialization opportunities for kids. All those things were not any part of their thinking. Yeah. So, of course, we one-sided, uh, one-size-fits-all decision made that we know now was simply wrong, wrong. 
Yeah. Well, we, we remember President Eisenhower warned us about the dangers of having experts making political decisions, and we saw that in full force with COVID. You know, this has been a really sad chapter in U.S. history, how a public health problem was used to run roughshod over civil and constitutional liberties. I mean, do you think that this will be in history textbooks someday for school children to read about? You know, when I was growing up, it was the McCarthy error and the Japanese internment, so we thought that could never happen again. And boy, it has happened with a vengeance, a vengeance in just modern times, last two years. What, what do you think? Have you ever given that thought of, you know, where this is going to stand in history? Uh, yes, I, I actually uh, taught history. I have a doctorate in history before I went to law school. So I've thought about this in historical perspective a lot. And I do think we will we will regret this time. We will be embarrassed by this time and these policies. And I hope we are learning the lesson that these kinds of things just don't make sense and that people have to have the liberty to make choices that are right for them and that uh, there is no great harm that comes from that, particularly given the uh, the lack of of uh, real real validity for many of the uh, many of the prognostications and predictions and and mandates that were imposed. So, yes, I think history will not look kindly on this period and on the Dr. Fauci's of the world who you know, not only insisted on these mandates, but tried to crush those who were opposing them in reality. We had a, you know, it's it's as bad as the Copernican or Galilean uh, uh, situation yeah. where, where new science was just crushed by old orthodoxy. And that's uh, that's what we faced again. And there's yeah. no excuse for it. We can't let it happen again. And I think history will remind us of that. I certainly hope so. Even though it repeats itself. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> thank you so much, Doug, for your information. It was such a pleasure to get up to speed uh, with you on this. I know we've cu- quoted you a couple of times in healthcare news, and I'm just really grateful for this opportunity that we were able to uh, talk about your cases and, and this latest settlement. And I'll also include your website information in the podcast notes for our listeners who may want to reach out to you. Thanks for coming on. Thank you very much, Anne-Marie. Have a good rest of your day. Doug Seaton is an attorney with the public interest law firm, the Upper Midwest Law Center. And thank you listeners for tuning in. If you like this discussion, please share the link, become a regular subscriber to the Heartland Daily Podcast. It's a great way to stay informed about protecting markets from government tyranny. This is Anne-Marie Schieber. 